Welcome to the Discover Strength Podcast, where we ditch the fads and bring you the latest research on exercise to help you look and feel your best in a fraction of the time. I'm your host, Logan Emmett Herlihy, an exercise physiologist with Discover Strength. Let's get into this week's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Discover Strength Podcast. I'm so excited to be joined today by the distinguished president, CEO, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Lou Carlson, joins us today discussing a really interesting, really fascinating, super powerful article we recently read as a team at Discover Strength. So a lot of our listeners, clients will know that we read research every week. It's part of our foundation as exercise physiologists. And this particular article is of super importance to not just our clients or listeners, but their kids, uh, the people they probably care most about in this world. So Luke, I'm going to let you cue this up a little bit. Why don't you give us sort of a history of training adolescents, maybe some myths and misconceptions people have, and then we can dive a little into the interesting article we just read as a company not too long back. Yeah, Logan, absolutely. Thank you for, for having me. I'm excited to get to chat about this, this topic. Um, you know, I think if we, we think about the history of strength training or weight training for, for kids, for adolescents, the mistake that we used to make, and this was 70s, 80s, even in the 90s, and, and frankly, probably the early 2000s, is that we were apprehensive about having uh, a 12-year-old, a 14-year-old, a prepubescent uh, male or female engage in any strength training because we were worried we were going to stunt bone development. We thought we were actually stunt the, the growth of the epiphyseal plate of a bone. And so we actually said, hey, don't strength train until you've gone through puberty. And you might be able to get stronger when you're younger, but it's going to be at the detriment of kind of your long-term development. And that's a myth that persisted for, like I said, decades. And we just now know that that is not true. So strength training has been widely recommended for children and adolescents. I mean, we're supposed to, as an adolescent, get 60 minutes of vigorous strength training uh, per week. We look at strength training so much differently now for, for, for kids. Um, Dr. Wayne Westcott, who is uh, a, a thought leader on both strength training for adolescents, but he's also done so much for strength training in the geriatric community. One of his graduate students Avery Fagenbaum is one of the co-authors of the paper we're going to talk about. Now, when I say graduate students, I think we're picturing a 25-year-old. This is a long time ago, so Avery is probably 50 years old right now. And if you're on Instagram, Avery Fagenbaum is a wonderful follow on Instagram because everything he puts on Instagram is on strength training for kids. And Dr. Wayne Westcott had said, hey, we probably should look at osteoporosis as an adolescent disease with geriatric manifestations. So we're always thinking about how do we get a 65-year-old woman to engage in resistance training so she can increase her bone mineral density and prevent osteoporosis, which is defined as low bone mineral density that precedes fracture. Well, maybe we should be focusing on having a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old female engaged in resistance exercise that we can prevent this injury later. Well, uh, excuse me, this, this onset of osteoporosis later so, so that has probably evolved into thinking that now strength training is very healthy and safe 
for a middle school age uh, child. And we see, you know, over the last 15 years, for sure, uh, adolescents engage in strength training. But I think we framed it up, Logan, as strength training to get ready to play or compete in a sport. And if, if our listeners, if your son or daughter has played football and volleyball and track and field and, and cross country and swimming, and you name the sport, I mean, there are businesses, there are coaches, there are programs in schools that uh, will prepare you for those, those sports um, from a strength training standpoint. And I think that's a really good thing. But I think what we've missed out on is that the benefit of strength training for an adolescent goes far beyond preparation to compete in a sport. And, you know, I'll cut to the chase right now, Logan, and you can, you can add your thoughts on this. We are really underselling the major benefits of strength training. If we position strength training as something that is relegated to the athletic department or that coaches should really be involved with. And this paper that we're going to talk about today is part of a growing body of research that says, Hey, there's other benefits of strength training that have nothing to do with sports or athletic performance for kids, okay, clearly adults as well, for kids that we really probably should be unpacking. And this new research should guide what we do in our physical education curriculum, uh, what we're doing from a public policy standpoint. And so I'm excited to get to talk about that paper with you today. Yeah, you you made so many good points there. And I, I think the main takeaway that I have is just the applicability of resistance training to the general population. And when we say general population, I'm talking everything from five years old to 95 years old. Um, I'm sure you've seen this being a strength coach in the past. For the longest time, we've really thought of exercise and specifically strength training, like you said, for athletes in general. But as the research has continued to develop, we see this propensity of, of evidence-based information pointing in the direction that everyone should be doing this, right? Whether you're five or you're 95, whether you're an athlete or you're completely immobile. And really it's those people that aren't doing anything that are going to have the most benefit from this, right? If you're a, a 10 year old kid and you're playing all kinds of sports and you're engaging in all sorts of activities, you probably should strength train, right? But you probably don't need to necessarily as much as somebody who's maybe just playing video games all day, right? You talk about the applicability to the general population and what is America looking like these days without getting you know too far into the weeds here. It's it's people who need movement. They need some exercise. They need something that's that's really practical that they can use um, to give them a lot of the benefits that they're missing out on with obesity, with dietary issues that are happening. And I think resistance training is such a practical thing for, for every age group to really focus on. And as we'll talk about, it's got a lot of other benefits besides just you're going to get stronger. Um, I think some of the big things to keep in mind as we talk about training with kids is, is first and foremost, you have to keep things extremely safe, right? We know that there's a huge variation in children um, from different adolescents groups up to teenagers as far as maturity, different levels uh, of that. So I think just in general, and we'll, we'll dive a little more into this, but focusing on keeping supervision high, focusing on form and teaching effort over failure per se, um, keeping session length shorter. You know, a lot of kids have trouble focusing, focusing on really key basic lifts as opposed to trying to make things super complicated, um, prioritizing some neck training. Maybe we'll touch on that. Maybe not. Am I missing anything else just from a foundations perspective, Luke, before we sort of dive into um, some of the nuances of this study and some of the nuances of training adolescents? 
I think those are great, uh, great principles, Logan. I think it's important from a starting standpoint that we understand that when you're really, really young, you can reap tremendous benefit from strength training. So that's kind of point number one for me. And point number two is I do think that the child, the adolescent has to drive the interest. I don't think it works well when a parent is pushing this on their, their child. There's not a tremendous, but there is some evidence to suggest that hey, if we want to establish uh, long-term exercise adherence and and positive associations with exercise probably shouldn't force our kids to exercise and the exercise definitely shouldn't be viewed as a punishment so encouraging your children to exercise is great and of course many of our listeners have seen some of this research that the best predictor of whether or not your child is going to exercise is generally whether or not you've modeled exercise and specifically i think that that link is stronger with a mother, even then with a father. So, you know, I, I'm so proud of our, you know, thousands of, of, of female clients who are engaged in serious resistance training and, and the fact that their child understands that, hey, this is a priority for my mother. That's about as powerful as it gets. Uh, that's, that's a wonderful behavior to model to our, to our children. Yeah. And, and as we sort of dive into modeling these things and, and what's kind of happened with curriculum from a school level, I think it's it's important also to understand sort of the history of physical education in the school system. And obviously, I'm not a, a historical scholar in this sense, but as far as I understand, you know, starting with World War II, specifically the end of World War II, there was a lot of programs put into place in schools around the country. Uh, I think it was in the 40s or 50s that they instituted the presidential physical fitness tests. And then PE became sort of a, a backbone of the American school institution. Now, over the last few decades, I remember when I got out of school, uh, about five or 10 years after that, I started hearing about cuts in physical education, right? A lot of programs in schools um, were needing to be cut, whether it was music, PE, other things. And, and PE, unfortunately, ended up on the chopping block a lot. People just didn't prioritize um, physical education and the importance of it for um, for youth, for adolescents. So we've seen sort of this downward uh, spiral of, of physical fitness in our kids. Obviously, that also correlates with, with the death of PE in a lot of ways. And I, I think, obviously, movement is important. Having a break from school is important. There's some research to really show that movement during the day for adolescents can be super beneficial. But I think this research paper was really interesting because one of the things I, I'm sure, and I'm, I'm not a parent, I know you're not a parent, but that parents are, are really concerned about is, is academics, is how their kids are doing in school. And this paper we looked at it was titled The Effects of Resistance Training on Academic Outcomes in School-Age Youth, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis. And like you said, one of those um, colleagues of, uh, of Wayne Westcott was one of the co-authors on the year. And it really was just a, a collection of, I believe it was 53 different studies looking at a variety of different academic outcomes, things like cognition, um, cognitive flexibility, working memory, planning, fluid intelligence, and then just academic achievement in general. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about sort of the groups that we saw that were involved in this paper from what age range we're talking about, and then some of the big takeaways that you noticed. And, and, and if you missed anything that I, I thought was worth highlighting, I can jump in and highlight that as well. Yep. So let's make this, I think, really simple and digestible. Uh, this is a meta-analysis. So like you said, it's a collection of all the studies on the particular topic, over 50 studies. The, the participants are between five years of age 
and 18 years of age. And so clearly that's school-age children. So when we're thinking school age, we, we shouldn't just think 15, 16 years old here. It's five to 18, it's males and it's it's females. Now, the biggest outcome of this paper, it's really two outcomes, two things we should think about, that if you engaged in strength training, you actually improved your academic performance, okay? So you improved your cognition, you improved your uh, academic achievement, and you mentioned a number of the ways that you can measure that. I mean, we're looking at cognitive measures around attention, cognitive flexibility, inhibition, working memory, planning, fluid intelligence. There's also... Um, academic achievement. So uh, they individually looked at languages, mathematics, um, uh, task behavior, uh, all of it. So, and, and we could really bore the listeners and go through all the different ways you can test fluid intelligence. That's all laid out in the paper. Here's the discovery. Uh, number one, if you strength train, you improve your academic performance. So full stop. The second big takeaway is that higher levels of muscular fitness were associated with greater performance in cognition and academic performance. So there's two things going on here. The more muscularly fit that you were, the better you're going to perform academically and cognitively. And if you engage in strength training, if you add some strength training, your academic performance and your cognition improves. So we always want to understand, well, is there just an association here? Is it that, that kids that are really, really physically have tremendous physical prowess, are they also more intelligent? Or is it that the strength training intervention matters? And of course, this big meta-analysis says they're, they're both uh, true. Both of those scenarios are true. So being muscularly fit is associated with uh, higher academic performance. But if we just engage in some strength training and we start getting stronger um, and forget getting stronger, if we just engage in strength training, we see improvements in our cognitive function and our academic performance. So that's really what we need to take to the bank, those two things. And I think this is reshaping our paradigm around why would I strength train? You know, I've been involved in, in serious strength training for 22 years and there's not a day that goes by that someone doesn't, you know, after I talk about what I'm doing, I'm involved in strength training. They they make some comment on, did you see Kirk Cousins work out in, you know, the show on Netflix? Or they refer to some type of strength training in athletics. And I think athletics is just not the most important stage uh, to see the benefits that we're reaping from strength training for kids. It's definitely our academic performance. So those are our, those are our key takeaways. Go ahead and add whatever you have here, Logan, in terms of what stuck out to you in this paper. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you hit the nail on the head with the improvements in academic performance, but it also makes me think back to to what you mentioned with, with Dr. Wayne Westcott, which is we're just putting adolescents in a position where they're going to be more physically fit in the future, regardless of if there's the academic improvement outcomes, right? So what is something that's really plaguing the American public right now that we hear about all the all the time is the obesity epidemic, the movement or the lack of movement epidemic. So if we can start to instill these positive habits early on, and again, it's it's not a paper saying that you have to compete in powerlifting competitions, right? This was pretty basic uh, resistance training recommendations. And the paper even talks about how those recommendations were sort of all over the board, right? There was no real general recommendations. And they suggested that more research be done to look at specific recommendations on how you can train adolescents. Go ahead. Yeah, Logan, that's a key point. This paper included both acute and chronic studies. So what happens if you do some strength training in the middle of your day in your PE class? Or what if your fourth grade teacher pauses class and you spend 10 minutes 
doing some body weight exercises. What happens to your academic outcomes the rest of that day? That would be acute versus chronic. What if we're engaging in strength training a couple times per week? What happens to academic performance? So we see benefits of both acute and chronic, which I think is really interesting and really important. Yeah. And and aside from that, I, I think the other biggest takeaway that I had was, you know, they were looking at resistance training versus concurrent training, which for our listeners is doing cardiovascular exercise in conjunction with resistance training together, which somebody like Luke who enjoys cardio might think would be more beneficial. But as the, the paper sort of showed, there is actually the resistance training on its own seemed to have a slight advantage, right? And this is not to say that cardio doesn't offer any benefit because obviously it does. And there is a positive correlation with cardio as well, but it was just comparing those two. There seems to be a slight advantage of resistance training, which to me just promotes the idea that we should have weightlifting class. We should have PE or doing something like body weight squats to break up the middle of the day, as opposed to that God awful 7am mile we all had to run when we were in, you know, first or second grade uh, for time, which is probably why I don't run anymore. If I'm being honest, Luke, is they made me get up and run really far. So I didn't like it. Uh, Any thoughts on that or anything else to add? That is such a key point. Uh, we, We would not be doing a good job uh, we would not be responsible on this podcast if we if we sent the message that we're supposed to be active as children. Um, that is not what this paper says. The paper says, no, we're supposed to resistance train. I mean, the, the direct key takeaway that the authors list is resistance training was more effective than concurrent training. And, and like you said, I, I love cardiovascular exercise. I love being physically active in general. But the research does not say that doing a combination of aerobic exercise and strength training improves academic performance. It said if you strength train, that was the best way to improve academic performance, which I find fascinating. Yeah, I, I think as we as we wrap this up and sort of think of key takeaways here, Luke, some of the things that I, I really want to drive home to our listeners is just sort of training tenets, right? When it comes to youth, uh, I want to say athletes, but it's really not athletes as we've established. It's anyone that's going to participate in resistance training at an adolescent age, seems to be anywhere from five to 18 years old. And honestly, I would say some of these things even apply beyond those ages, but I, I did a little alliteration here, okay? I had safety, simplicity, skills separate, and then sports first. And, and quickly, all that means is if you're going to train, do it safely, right? Never risk your health in order to improve your health. Keep it simple with the movements. We're talking about kids. They can't always focus, um, right? And some can, some can, and maybe they have the ability to do longer sessions. But in general, keep things simple. Compound movements. Don't try to get to failure. Don't necessarily try to push the limits of the intensity. Just start establishing those good habits. Um, For goodness sake, separate the skills from the movement right? You talked about quarterback, that Netflix documentary, do not do what Patrick Mahomes was doing, right? Try not to do any sort of loaded exercise and confuse your central nervous system. If you're going to practice, if you do have kids who are student athletes who want to be the next Kirk Cousins, have them practice throwing the ball, a regular standard size ball, not a weighted football, right? Do those two things separately. And then finally, if you want to get better at sports, if that is your goal, your passion, practice that as much as humanly possible. Um, And that's the only way you're going to improve and have a chance uh, to really become a better player. Perfectly stated, Logan. So 
what else can our, our listeners take away from this? I, again, I, I think just resistance training in general is safe for adolescents. Now, we would obviously lean towards a specific style of training um, that we think is a little safer and more time efficient. But on top of that, activity in general is good, right? But we're talking about the association between resistance training and improvements uh, in academics. So we're... <clears throat> excuse me, we're not just talking about getting your kids active, we're talking about doing specific targeted resistance training activity, Um, resistance training over cardio, if you had to prioritize one or the other, all adolescents should be doing this. And they really should just find something that's safe, effective and time efficient. Did I miss anything there or any other final thoughts from this paper you want to share with our listeners before we let you go? I think your summary is perfect. If, If I'm a parent, and my child does not play any sports, but they are heavily involved in math league, in debate, and in the chess club, the first thing I do is make sure that they are engaged in strength training a couple times per week because it's going to drive performance in those areas. And that is a paradigm shift from how we always thought about strength training. Yeah, I love that. I think it's just spreading strength training to the masses and doing what we can to make sure that all of our kids are getting the most benefit that they possibly can from their time, um, whether they're athletes or not. So thank you so much for joining us today, Luke. There will be a link to this paper in uh, the podcast description. If anybody's interested, please check that out. Like, subscribe, and share. We appreciate you all listening. Thanks, Luke.